a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. I am so glad you could be a part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. And speaking of wrong thinkers, I am joined, as I am most Tuesdays, by my friend Gary Welch. Hi, Gary. Hi, Brian. And in the famous words of Adam Savage, I reject your reality and I'm just inserting my own. Yes. And <laughs> And, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to be pithy when I say this, but uh, I think we live in a time of uh, reality crisis. I mean, why else would we need a reality czar? Why else would, would we need fact checkers and, and you know, people to, to tell us what's acceptable and what isn't if we didn't live in a time of uh, it's either truth deficiency or reality crisis. I can't decide which one. Both. Both. OK. It is absolutely both. Yeah. It's just that. uh we will determine what your reality is through, through quote unquote, our version of the truth. And we will perpetuate your reality. There is just so much out there that indicates that it's working, too. I mean, it really is. People think it's the truth. Because of your background in marketing, as well as your background in political consulting, um, I just want to let you and, and my listeners know, um, I have reached out to a young man who wrote an article about uh, Propaganda, like Edward Bernays type propaganda, as well as neuro linguistic programming. Are you familiar with NLP? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. I just read an article of his that was posted on LinkedIn yesterday, and he actually wrote this some time ago. So this this was before our current political climate, but it so perfectly describes how public how public opinion can be manipulated by people who know what they're doing. The right buzzwords, the right tone, the right uh, angle will mislead a lot of people. And I, I'm not going to pretend that you and I here are, we're, we're here today, Gary, to set everything right and make sure everybody's on the straight and narrow. But we're definitely here to ask some questions about the narrative that is being fed to us. Where does it hold up? Where doesn't it hold up? And it's because I'm convinced there are people out there who just don't know where to, where to get up to speed on what's really happening in the world. And we're offering them an option. Not saying we've we've got all the answers, right? I mean, we're, we didn't corner the market on truth, but we definitely are trying to take a look at things from an angle that I don't think you're likely to see in, in a lot of the mainstream sources or a lot of the mass media sources. And uh, so I, the term manipulative is not an accurate description of what happens. It is using human behavior and human thought process to get your point across and to get get that acceptance and that in marketing this is an old old thing in marketing i mean marketers have been doing that from the very beginning we understand these things we're better at it obviously because of technology and learning and, and psychology um so we're we're much more in tune to it but i i the thing manipulative means like i'm going to convince you to do something you don't want it's more of about addressing it and getting you to create that you want it, that type of scenario. 
Um, and then the, 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 the operative side of it, is it good for you or not? That, that would be whether you would reflect it as evil and good. And I think this is actually a good point because, you know, some of the, the tactics that, that is being done in marketing that everybody could use and wrong thinkers and people like yourself, we can use it. I, I do not subscribe that you have to have big media to have these things happen and that they control everything. I am not ready to give up that ground just yet. Okay. And and by the way, I want to just point out here as far as, you know, so are we trying to set the record straight? Are we trying to convert everybody to, uh, you know, to a point of view that's that's more comfortable for us? No, not really. But uh, I, I, I saw a post recently from uh, Green Smoothie Girl, Robin uh, Openshaw, and, and she mm-hmm. had made the comment. She says she has people who ask her all the time, hey, Robin, where can we find out, you know, what's happening? How, where, how can we know what's real? How can we know what's true? And And of course... That's ripe opportunity for people to to peddle a favorite conspiracy theory. I mean, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. And frankly, there's a lot of vacuums out there where people are like, oh, 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 I've got a conspiracy theory that I would love to, to fill that vacuum with. But she made a comment about how she doesn't deal with people who either dismiss her as, as a conspiracy theorist or those who are pursuing that. She says, look, I don't have time to deal with that. I don't have time to deal with the nasty names or the silly comments. Because her focus is on the people who still have possession of their minds. So when we talk about wrong think, that's largely what we're talking about here. And I don't mean that to sound, you know, like it's derogatory. Everybody else has Mm -hmm. lost their minds. But for some people, understanding the world and understanding truth is actually more of a priority than it is for, for some. And the ones who, who don't have possession of their mind are the ones for whom it's really not that big of a deal. Come on, Dancing with the Stars is going to be on here shortly or, or whatever. I don't know. I don't watch TV anymore, so uh, I, don't, I don't get a chance to, to see much of that. But, uh, but the bottom line is, we're not here to tell you what to think. We're here to offer some, offer, some different points of view. And frankly, something that you had commented on, Gary, uh, when you had, had sent me a couple of subjects that you thought might be fun to discuss, uh, this one really grabbed my attention. Here in, the state, in our home state of Utah, Governor Cox has signed into law a constitutional carry bill for firearms owners. And I hear I hear a lot of cheering and I hear a lot of people um, celebrating this as, yes, you know, finally, you know, a, a, a giant blow has been struck for freedom. You're not a naysayer, but you definitely have a little more skeptical take on what that constitutional carry bill portends. Could you explain why, why you're not uh, popping corks and, you know, throwing confetti with, with some of the folks? So one of the things that I have been constantly talking about is that they do things to us that hurt us, that harm us, that is very unpopular. And they recognize that as long as I do that before the end of my term, you'll forget about it. And one of the ways that they use to do that is they'll pass out a lot of popular legislation that really is not necessarily groundbreaking or anything like that. And so for those of you, you know, that are not um, here in Utah, I can just tell you this. Utah is a very, 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 very gun friendly state. You don't say. And concealed carry. (laughs) Concealed carry out here. I'm like, who cares? I mean, 
We do it all the time. And I don't even know if people really go get permits. I mean, they just carry you. You put it and you conceal carry it and you take it with you. And the cops don't care. The people don't care. We're just like, yeah, whatever, dude. We're okay with it. So for him to come out and do this for us here, you know, for those of us who live here, we're like, yeah, whatever. Uh, we like it, obviously, but it's no big deal. But they made a big deal about it, and they got these Second Amendment people to make a big deal about it. And, he's, you know, he's just – it's what I call the shiny object thing. You know, hey, take a look at the shiny object. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, look at that. Don't remember that as lieutenant governor, I just destroyed your economy, and I put hundreds of businesses out, and I ruined people's life, and people got killed because of decisions that I made that, that the governor had given him. You know, he was the head of the COVID tax force here in Utah. And so the, the damage of COVID could be laid directly on his feet. But he's like, oh, don't worry. Don't think about that. Here's my shiny little object I'm going to put in front of you. Pay attention to this. It's a shield. A small one, but it's it's a shield. I no, I agree, and and this raises the question because there are some differing. Uh, well, there are some different public officials who are starting to feel the heat. Um, Andrew Cuomo, I think, is is probably right. uh, one of the ones that's really front and center. I mean, people are people are starting to kind of distance themselves from him a little bit because the the word is out. They hid, they distorted, they withheld information that would have showed putting those people, ordering those people into nursing homes actually caused a lot of them to face risk they wouldn't have otherwise. And and so I at the, at, on the one hand, I'm not happy to see somebody else's misfortune or even to see somebody crushed by their own wrongdoing, but I am happy to see some accountability. Now, will that happen for Spencer Cox in Utah? No, I think he's he's. He's did the effective thing. And and again, we have the whole issue of people saying, well, COVID was a major crisis and they had to do what they had to do. Uh, there is going to be some payback, though. There, At some point, people are going to figure this out, especially like the new talk they're having about let's continue this for another year. Um, there's going to be some payback on that. OK, but you you feel like maybe maybe Cox has dodged the bullet unintended you know by by throwing this this bone in the direction of um you know freedom lovers oh absolutely and he's going to do some more he's going to do these safely you know here's like if, if you want to be that way do do something else you know put put something really um, um big out there Okay, we're going to take a very quick break. Gary Welsh is my guest. We have we have a couple of things to talk about along this line. We'll talk a little bit more about Governor Cuomo in New York and the heat that he is getting for his stance on the deaths of senior citizens who died because of his policy decision. We have some other stuff to talk about as well. We'll get to it right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Once again, I am joined by fellow wrong thinker Gary Welch, and uh, we will... We have a couple of things we're going to discuss here momentarily. I want to mention that our show is brought to you in part by our good friends at Rio del Sion, del Sion 
Homelots. Sorry, I always butcher the name, but I want you to know, despite my inability to pronounce it with an authentic Spanish accent, what an, an amazing and beautiful housing development this is. If you are relocating to Utah, in fact, if you're relocating specifically to southern Utah, you should really go to my show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Click on that sponsor link, Rio del Sion Homelots, and just take the virtual tour. See what it's all about. If you're in a position to, to build there, I don't think you would find a more beautiful place in southern Utah. And that's saying something, because there's a lot of pretty country out there. Again, it's in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com, Rio del Sion Homelots. Tell them thanks for sponsoring the show. So, Gary, let's, there's a lot that's happened since the last time we talked. The president has been uh, tried and acquitted for a second time. Um, Mitch McConnell, after voting not to convict the president, um, seems like he had some pretty harsh words for, for Trump. What does that portend? So this is pretty interesting. Um, I always talk about this in politics, and I love telling people about the inside of how things work. And the, one of the things that I always say is never believe it on its merit, on what it looks like. Whatever they're presenting to you, whatever you see that is a tip of an iceberg, there's a whole lot going on underneath the waves that you do not see. And one of the things, especially when you're in that kind of position where you're in a senator or a congressman or a president or a governor, is that you don't say anything publicly without first taking it to the, the, the power base, the people who tell you what to say. And those people are the people in your party. It's not the, the you don't go to your other government officials. You don't go to the lieutenant governor or you don't go to your other senators and whatnot. Yeah, you're going to talk to them. But your permission comes from your party. And you really need to believe that that is a fact of American politics is that these party officials are the ones that are telling them you can say this and you cannot say that. So they clear these things before they make big statements like that. And it's very revealing that Mitch McConnell got permission to say this. So does this mean that the Republican Party is officially trying to divest itself of you know any connection to Donald Trump? I do believe that this is, is conclusive proof that there is a riff within the Republican Party right now of those who are supporting Donald Trump and what he's trying to achieve. I don't want to call it a reform movement. There's a reform movement going on in the Republican Party for a very, very long time. But I do believe that there are the, 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 the pro-Trump people who are pushing an agenda and that this deep state, however you would like to call it, Republicans, which consist of all of these unelected party officials, they're very much resisting this and they're very much opposing this. And they are just as is is opposed to him as the Democrats are and willing to jump in with them. So when you have people like, you know, um, uh, you know, um, oh, man, I'm, I'm really skipping out these senators that are coming out, these Republican senators that like, are joining like the Mitt Democrats. Romney. There you go. So yeah. thank you very much. So when you have the folks like Romney and, and Meskowitz from Alaska um, coming out there and saying, you know, we're opposing we're, we're going to vote for impeachment. They are doing so with a lot of impunity and that they are not fearing their party apparatus from stuff. It, it used to be and it still is that if 
if they were doing that to a popular president like Bush or Reagan or something like that, I guarantee you Romney would not even be on the ballot next time around. He wouldn't wow. even make it. But, you know, they're allowing that they're they're promoting that. And McConnell was more of a of a kind of a, a light, you know, shining a light on this of saying, hey, guys, uh, the party is backing this this whole thing. Um, he didn't do it. You know, he didn't vote for impeachment. Uh, he, he used, I, I thought, trumped up reasons for it. And that's not a pun uh, for doing it. The reality of it really is that Donald Trump did not. And, I, and I've always said this a lot. I'm not a fan of his guys. I'm not coming out here and saying, hey, I love the guy. I voted for him or none of that because that was not the case. This guy was not guilty. There is nothing you could look at the evidence. It's overwhelming saying he was not guilty of inciting a riot. So this whole thing of, yeah, we're doing this, you know, only because it's unconstitutional, but he was guilty scenario. Nah, no, 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 no. That's not it. Okay, you you and I've talked before about, uh, you know, whether the Republican Party um, is is dead following the Trump presidency. And to me, moves like this say, yeah, they are. And I think they want to be dead. And and I'm not saying like you. I don't believe Trump was the answer to everybody's prayers. I don't think he he alone held the uh, the the possibility of saving the republic. But when the Republican Party, you know, looks at, look at how they have been able to rally uh, their their forces, you know, around, you know, candidates like Mitt Romney, around candidates like uh, like John McCain, you know, there's not that big a difference between them and the Democrats whereas with Trump there were some similarities, but nothing even close to what the establishment types would bring. So I don't know. It seems to me that the, the Republican Party clearly wants to remain an establishment party. And, and I have to wonder yet again if, if, you know, this move is going to disenfranchise not just uh, Trump, but tens of millions of people who in good faith supported him just because he was an alternative to the, uh, you know, establishment types. That's actually a really good point. And it's something that um, when you said that, it reminded me of things that I had heard when I was working um, as a consultant with them. One of the things that I've always stated is that both the Democrats and the Republicans want a socialist government. Don't do not get that all like, you know, oh, they're anti-socialist. They're fighting a socialist. No, they are not. Both of them want big government. Both of them want big control. The only difference is the Republicans want a conservative socialist government where they will force everybody and tell everybody to be conservatives. And the Democrats want a liberal or progressive socialist government. But they both want big governments. But here's something that most people don't know that is a big part of the GOP. And that is the GOP is not trying to fight socialism. It's trying to slow it down. So the, the, they're actually their attitude towards progressivism and liberalism is not to stop it and not to reverse it. It is just to slow it down. They are they are conceding already that it is going to happen. A lot of them want it to happen. They want to have that push to that liberalism, progressive government type of mentality. But they just feel like let's take it slower so that we can gradually move ourselves into it versus this this whole fight. Trump was a fighter. Trump was was really trying to fight this system and he paid the price for it. Do you think there's any uh, possibility he'll be able to create a viable political movement or is he going to be bogged down in, I don't know, civil lawsuits, maybe criminal uh, charges being filed against him, you know, from the 
from the D.C. city government um, over, you know, attempts to stick what happened on the 6th of January on his shoulders? He tends to be a big guy fighter, so he's he's got a hard battle ahead of him, and the, and his strategy I think is going to be wrong because he's going to try to fight this, you know, big big money versus big government type of thing and big media. Um, but uh, he is going to be somewhat successful. He just has too much behind him not to. But this is going to hurt the Republican Party for sure. Okay. we got some other stuff we're going to be covering when we come back the other side of the break. Listen, if you'd like to join the conversation, 801-331-8113 is our number. Uh, We can talk about uh, Governor Cox and what the legislature is doing here in Utah. By the way, Gary, one of the things that I do want to bring up uh, before we get to the end of the show is I want to talk about uh, a bill that uh, I believe was sponsored by Senator Evan Vickers, which would seek to curtail some of the emergency powers that, that have been invoked over this last year. That may be a good thing. We'll come back to that right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. And we have uh, we have so much territory to cover here. I want to briefly come back to um, something taking place in my home state of Utah, and that is, uh, Gary, there's actually an effort afoot on, uh, on Capitol Hill as our lawmakers are in session in Utah to curtail some of the emergency powers, or maybe curtail's the wrong word, but to, uh, to pull back and to to bring them back into more accountable people. So in other words, it won't just be health department personnel or bureaucrats making these calls, but actually people who are accountable to the voters. And I, I wanted to get your take on this. I know you, you've got some pretty good feelings for Evan Vickers, who I believe uh, Senator Vickers is the, the sponsor of this particular bill. Um, do, have, you, have you seen any stories on this? Are, are you following this at all? I can't say I'm following it closely, but yes, I am watching it. I'm not, I'm not very hopeful and optimistic about it. Our legislator here in our legislatures, legislators here in Utah have not been really stellar in this regard. Uh, but I, I do pay attention to those who are voicing the dissent on this and who are trying to stand up and say. There is a reason why the powers are held within the legislature and not the governor. You guys are really getting into dangerous territories with these emergency powers and, and are seeing the abuse. I just I just don't know if um, there's enough people who agree with them. And it seems kind of funny, doesn't it? You would think that if you were a legislator, you would want that power. You would want to keep it to yourself. You wouldn't want to delegate it out. But they just are so quick to kind of divert the the responsibility i think that's the big thing with our our politicians today they're all about you know diverting responsibility so that you can't get them and say oh that's your fault you know it's it's better to get como than the than the state legislator that also approved what he did they are just as guilty as he is but it's just too easy to pass it off and say no he did it all because we let him do it 
So let's let's shift gears for a moment here and talk about uh, Governor Cuomo in New York. Um, the the news came out last week. I know one of his staffers came right out and admitted, yes, we we had this data, but we didn't release it. And I think the the justification here was was what was so telling, because it might make us look bad, or the Republicans might seize this and use it for some advantage. So the human lives that were at stake. I mean, we have someone admitting it wasn't so much about the lives of those people who lost their lives by being sent into these into these nursing homes. It was about the optics. It was about making sure that uh, this doesn't reflect badly on us and, and perhaps, you know, impede our chances of political success. I mean, I'm a pretty cynical guy, but I'm not that cynical. And it goes into what I've always said about these politicians. Um, for those of you that say, yeah, good, go- big government is good and let's have the government control things and the government is fair and the government cares about us. Show me a government that has. Como is just a very perfect example. His regret is that he got caught, not that he did it. And the hiding of it is we, we, we always hear about them hiding it, you know, that they're trying to cover it up and they're trying to hide it and all that stuff. But do you really take a look at what this means as far as what they were thinking and how they were thinking and what they were doing and knowing the consequences of what they were doing? If you're doing the right thing, you don't try to hide it. You don't try to cover it up only when you know you're doing the wrong thing when you're doing it. And this is a big deal that when he made these rules and these regulations, he knew full well what he was doing. Wow. You know, that becomes a really big dude. You just killed a bunch of people. So is there enough political support behind Cuomo or for that matter, media support that uh, that he's likely to skate on this one? Or is he going to be the first of hopefully many to be held accountable? I'm going to be a bold. I'm going to make a bold prediction because I know how slimy and how slippery these guys are and they can get out of it. Um, but, you know, I don't think he survives this. He he might make it through his term, but it's going to be very diminished if he does. Uh, but there's a very, very good chance that he may get kicked out for this. I actually heard a commentator this morning. Uh, Neil Larson out of Idaho Falls was making the comment that, uh, you know, uh, Cuomo was was bragging at one point about how, look, I've uh, I've won an Emmy, you know, and and it was supposedly it was an Emmy over his his masterful handling of of the covid crisis. And he says, no. And in fact, it turns out it was an Emmy for best acting like he actually cared about uh, about what he was doing. And this is not to make light, you know, of the, the people who have lost loved ones to covid. It's a real illness. It's a real danger. But we can't. We can't let something like what uh, Governor Cuomo did go unacknowledged and, for that matter, um, you know, not be held accountable for just for, for the sake of political expediency. And I hope there's enough people who feel that way. And those of us who are, are fighting this on, on the COVID side of it, you know, we get declared as COVID deniers and people who are not appreciating the disease and all that other stuff. And that's not really the case. The big thing for us is that transparency we what we're doing is you know like here in utah we're asking them how did you make these decisions what information did you have when you made these decisions what things did you discuss when you made these decisions did you consider the lives you were going to destroy do you did you consider the businesses that were going to be destroyed by these decisions 
and they are resisting. They are not telling us. They're not giving us this information. We're not saying bad or good. We're not saying, well, this is what had to be done or you could have not done something different, although there is that out there. All we're saying is, as our elected officials, you should tell us how you came about these decisions. And when they resist that, when they stop, try to stall us from getting that information, that tells me, again, they're hiding something. So what are you hiding? Okay, and another good point. People who have the truth on their side don't need to, you know, distract or deflect or otherwise insist you can't talk about that. Don't ask those questions. If, if you've got the truth on your side, you should be willing to, you know, let, let the, the chips fall where they may. You know, I, I hope that we can see some serious accountability. And, and it's not because I want to see people suffer for what they've done so much as I just want to make sure that the precedent is established that somebody at some point said that was wrong. And here's why it cannot happen again. That's the precedent I want to see established. This was a terrible way to handle things. You know, they say we had no choice, but eh, you saw no other choice but to lock things down and ruin people's lives, you know, in, in an attempt to control stuff. Now, we'll, and, we'll and, go ahead. Well, because you and I had brought this up um, with the, with the COVID book that, that we were working on in that there was even public information out there that said there were different ways of handling this and other countries that were doing things to handle it differently with better results. We had really bad results. We have to, to acknowledge that as a country, we failed our fellow citizens in how we handled this. But the the proper handling wasn't more control because that's being demonstrated as totally ineffective. And all you did was delayed things, which made things worse. And so this can in this continuing to want to do that. We've already demonstrated that didn't work. But even at that time, they had information that said this isn't going to work like you think it did. And they rejected it. They absolutely rejected it. And, and I go back to that. Somebody in the authority, come out and tell me, what did you do when you had this information? How did you work with it? How come you came up with a different decision about how to handle this than what normal people would have came up with? By the way, I, I want to point out, too, um, Neil Larson and his co-host, Julie, were both uh, also pointing out what it came to Governor Cuomo. When he talks about uh, his, his uh, Emmy when he talks about, you know, the, the accolades, his book that was ghostwritten for him about how I saved the day or whatever it's called. Um, he always refers to himself, you know, in the singular me. That was me. That was I, you know. But when it comes to, you know, the mea culpa, well, we released this and we were very transparent. We, you know, it's suddenly it's a collective, uh, you know, come on, you guys were all with me, right? <laughs> Right. Very, very selective, and, and it's it's enough to, to make a guy like me get a little bit cynical. But then again, you have been pointing out this truth about the mindset of politicians for many, many months and, and probably years, even before before I knew you, that uh, the, the problem with the politician mindset is it's all about them, not about us. Blame avoidance is their primary purpose. So we've got to go to break here in about 30 seconds when we come back. Let's take some time once again to talk about the concept of a servant leader. 
because I, I think this is something that once was was more widely understood here in America. Um, and I'm not just talking at the national level, but right down to the local level. People who served in public office typically did so not to, to build their own, you know, monument to themselves or, you know, their own little fiefdom, but to actually serve the people they represented. We'll come back with Gary Welsh right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. Our sponsors include Monticello College. And I encourage you, go to the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Check out this link in the sponsor section of today's show notes. That's the notes for February 16th. MonticelloCollege.org. I've got the link right there. I would encourage you to click on it and learn about an education for our time. And Gary, I want to tell you, one of the things that's very cool about Monticello College is they are trying to educate their students in the tradition of the servant leader. The person who isn't chasing titles and isn't chasing, you know, money, but is actually being what's called a disinterested leader. Someone who is willing to serve, willing to sacrifice and to, to build that other people may enjoy, you know, the, the benefit of what they're doing. It's not completely altruistic like I do it all for you, but it's it's much less self-centered than than our current political system has become. One of the interesting things about education in the past, especially towards like the beginning of this country, was the thought process of the universities and that they were trying to create leaders that they didn't care what kind of leader. It didn't necessarily mean a political leader, but you were going to be business leaders. You were going to be community leaders. You were going to be political leaders. And they were always striving to create that well-rounded individual that had knowledge of the classic, have the knowledge of the arts. And they taught them things about like the role of leadership and the role of men in leadership and, and how you were supposed to act as a true leader. And that had a big influence on those people who created our constitution, those founding fathers, they were all coursed in that. And, and every one of them to a man could have sat down and discussed with you things about what Cicero taught and, and all of these kinds of the Roman Republic and in the basis of democracy and the Magna Carta. They could have had long, detailed discussions with you about those things. Every single one of them in that room would have been able to do that. Today, you know, you go through college and all you're getting is propaganda. That's pretty much it. No, it's it's true. And and something that was pointed out to me a few years ago, uh, you mentioned that the, the, the purpose of especially higher education was about producing leaders. Do you realize, I think it was the first three colleges that were founded or universities that were founded here on this continent after, you know, the Jamestown settlement. That's one of the first things they set out to do. Do you know what kind of schools they were primarily? They were about training. They were, they were, they were about training clergy. Right. Yeah, I was going to say religious. Yeah. Yeah. So and and you'll see this. You can you look at their their school mottos and you go, hey, that's got kind of a religious overtone. Absolutely. It wasn't so much that, you know, everybody was expected to go into the clergy, but they were trained as if 
they were going to go into the clergy because the the focus there was building character and as as you as you call it servant leaders people who could step up and and not just complain from the sidelines but take an active role in leading at, at whatever level and I'm not sure exactly where we got away from it. Maybe maybe this is the gradual process as the stakes get higher. Uh, look at the trillions of dollars being spent, all the influence that goes with that spending. Maybe that's where, where we started going astray. But it certainly doesn't sound like the form of government that we primarily see, not just in D.C., but to even at the state levels today. I think we could trace the root to it to the anti-religion movement, especially the anti-Christianity movement in the United States, where everything Christianity, everything religion is is held in scorn and ridicule and, and being demonized, really, for doing that. And they took it to such a level that they said, we're going to throw out everything about it. And one of the things about a Judeo-Christian government or a society that we built back then is, and I always talk about this, you could take out the religious side of it. I don't care what your beliefs are, whether you're Muslim, Jewish, Buddhist, atheist, it does not matter. There are certain principles that are made up in the Judeo-Christian heritage that are just good principles, of which one of them is the servant leader. The concept which was was brought about by Jesus Christ of saying, look, I'm not here to dominate you. I'm not here to control you. I'm not saying that you must do everything. I am coming to you saying, here is a better life, and let me demonstrate to you how to live that life. When you look at that kind of mentality and that kind of way of that he led— I, okay, so you reject him as the Messiah. You reject him as the Son of God. Okay, go ahead. I'll, I'll I'll give you that, but don't tell me that that was not a good philosophy to have as a leader. No, that's that's a good point. And and look, the the sideshow that that politics has begun has become rather, especially at the national level. I don't blame people for not wanting to uh, step up and be a part of that. I mean, it seems like at some level you you'd kind of have to sense. Wait, why am I signing this in blood? You know, <laughs> as a, as I agree to to run for a particular office, because it seems like that's about how uh, that that's what it becomes about. How much are you willing to? Uh, how flexible are your morals going to be in order to do what it takes to attain that office? We always know that there are individuals who want to achieve power. They they know the benefits of power. Power gives you, you know, the control. Control gives you the ability to do what you want and get what you want. You know, you control the money. You, you control the power, power. You control the money. You control the money. You control the power. And so there's always those individuals that will seek that. And government gives them the perfect route to go after that. So those individuals that are evil-minded. I always classify evil in a more simplistic term, which is that you look after yourself more than others, that you are trying to all the things that we say are evil are just individuals saying, I want something and I'm going to get it. And I don't care about everyone else to get that. That is a mindset that that certain human beings have, and they are always going to seek to achieve that. And so you have to understand that. And when you acknowledge that that exists and that they are there, the thing would be, do you give them that route then to take? Do we allow them to achieve that power? We see what happens when they do. When you give them that ultimate power, when you give them that ultimate authority, come on, get, give me one example where that was achieved and good things happened. 
So for the average person who says, look, I don't want to get involved full time in politics. I don't want to run for office, but I do want to contribute something meaningful to what's happening around me. Let's talk about some of the steps that they can and maybe should be taking to, to use their influence, uh, whether it be, you know, at city council or uh, at the state level or, or otherwise. What, what kind of things would you would you recommend they do? So the person, the perfect thing would be to establish a citizen government, which means that your representatives should represent the citizenry. You look at our current government, none of those folks represent us. There is not an individual in there that you would say is a common person. They're in a, a profession or in an occupation or lived a life that you and I have led. But in a perfect government, the government that our founding fathers wanted to create, that's exactly what they wanted. They wanted Joe, ordinary citizen, to be able to be the president of the United States and act accordingly in that because of that concept of the the servant leader mentality. But, you know, we have to recognize that 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 going, you know, when you when you're striving for very large heights, that could be hard to do. But if you're willing to just simply put put the your community above yourself your community above your ego and saying look i don't need to be governor i don't need to be president i don't need to be a congressman or senator i'm willing to go into my city council and create change there and help my community there you can actually do more good and have more of an impact on your society and you don't need big things. It doesn't take a lot of money. It doesn't take a lot of recognition. You don't have to be a popular star or anything like that to achieve those results. And we should probably start there. Okay. No, I think that's I think that's a great place to start. We've got just a little bit over a minute. Um, point us towards any of your favored resources uh, for people who are, are wanting to step up and do something, but maybe don't know, you know, where where to uh, where to connect with like minded people. Oh, my most favorite resource is um, Embrace Capitalism, the book that they can get through. You just, you know, uh, send the show a note saying that you want to be a subscriber or just say, say, look, send me the book. Um, We would be more than happy to send that little. It's a PDF that we will send you. I think that that has the core foundation for what we're trying to achieve as what kind of politician we're looking for. Okay, so go to the Brian dot com. Very easy website to find. There are resources for wrong thinkers. There is a subscribe button. If you want to, you can become a patron. I wouldn't discourage mm-hmm. you from uh, throwing a few shekels uh, this way to to keep this show on the air and keep me focused on this rather than having to run out and rotate the neighbor's tires, you know, to, to make ends meet. Gary, thank you for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate As it. As always, it was fun, Brian. Okay. We will uh, get back here in about 22 hours, give or take depending on whether or not I have a nap. Thanks again for joining us. This is The Brian Hyde Show.